Hey, what's up, everybody? Mark Quinn here with Mark Kinsley, and we are right in the middle of primetime, and it is amazing. And if you're not here, what is it, Kinsley? Oh, it's going to be bad, really. It's going to be bad for you. Bad you're not for here. <laughs> you. You got to be here. And if you can't make this one, obviously, then get the one in February. There's one in Houston. So I'm blown away with all the people and the excitement. And I want you to know one of the reasons that people are here and they are nationwide members is in part due to the really great e-learning platform these guys have created. When I got to tour the Nationwide Marketing Group office in Atlanta, I was shocked at all of the content, Kinsley, that they had. And they'll go to like you know all of their suppliers and say, hey, look, I don't want your local guy training my people. I want the best trainer you have in your company. I want to get him on video. We're going to post those videos, and then we're going to let all of our retailers out there uh, go online and learn from the best about our products. And then they're so smart about it. They've gamed it where you can actually go, Kinsley, if you become a, like a, uh, you get through all of the training, let's say on a, um, a mattress program, you get to the end and you get a um, credit. And then they allow you to redeem that for gift cards. So really cool thinking. What a great way of, uh, you know, incentivizing the learning programs. If you're in a retail environment, you know when churn happens, you have new people coming in, maybe new people going out. It's hard to get people up to speed on all the products that you sell. And what better way to do it than with a learning platform that you know gives you a little carrot on, on the end of the stick and a fun way to go about it. And there's a lot of downtime in retail stores. So, you know, this is a great way to go in, spend a little time, learn about the products, because if you're coin operated, and you want to sell, you got to know what you're doing. You got to know what you're talking about. And Nationwide makes it easy. So go check it out right now and uh, and uh, see what they can do for you. They've got so many other great programs with their marketing website development. So check them out and make sure you book in February. Primetime coming again in Houston, Texas. Dose Marcos Podcast. It's the greatest mattress industry podcast on the planet. Wait, isn't this the only mattress industry podcast? He's Mark Kensley. I truly felt bad for you at the time. He's Mark Quinn. I think Bigfoot was actually very pleasant. Together, they are Dos Marcos. So, Kinsley, I was in, gosh, where was I? My son's basketball tournament, and... I was driving to Dallas, Texas, and it was, I think I may have told you this story. I mean, it was on I-35, and it was like 75 miles an hour, and this idiot was behind me, like tailgating me the whole time, right? Have yeah, you ever had you that? Told me, well, and you told me that this guy, didn't you pull off and try to get away from this guy, <laughs> and then he pulls back on? Or I is totally, this... I ran the feeders for like 10 minutes. That's a different story? It's, it's the same story, but when I get back on, this guy rear ends me, okay, and so I'm in the middle of dealing all, with all these insurance claims now and stuff. So I'm, I'm even more frustrated, I think, than I was. So anyway, I get off, get all that stuff handled. I finally get to where I'm going. And you know where I was going that day? Where are you heading that day? Going to see Harry Roberts. You know, Harry is one of the original founders of the mattress firm. So he and I were going to have dinner with uh, Mark Chase, Pat O'Brien. We're all just going to hang out. And so I finally get to this restaurant and Harry knew that I had just been in this accident. And uh, when I get there, you know what happened? He had a shot, a big, nice, juicy shot of tequila with salted rim and a lime waiting for me on the table. Did you lick the salt, suck the lime? 
and every all was right in the world. I think I hugged Harry first and then took his tequila shot. And guess what? Harry Roberts is who we are talking to today for this podcast, and he's on the phone right now. Harry, how are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. Thank you. So, you know, Harry, that was a really humanitarian thing to do with that tequila. You know what? There's a lot of stress going on when you were uh, <laughs> I knew she showing up at that restaurant. And look, you know, we got to take care of everybody, make them happy. I knew well, that, that was going to make you happy. No, so. <laughs> isn't that so funny, though? I was I was all like. You know, you know how it is. You've been on a road trip anyway. So, Kinsley, you have not, have you met Harry in person? Harry and I have never met in person. We this is our first acquaintance. Well, good. You're gonna I'm have excited. a lot of fun then, for sure. Well, I've, Harry, heard, I've heard the legend and lore of Harry, but I've never had a chance to like dig in and hear some of the stories. And I think that's what I'm excited about. Like, I, I, I mean, I even have like an initial question, which is, how did you all come up with the name Mattress Firm? Oh, you, good question. Here, here's what we thought we would do too. Let, let's do a two part here. I think we can like have some fun on this podcast and talk about how you built the business. And then I think there's going to be so much there. I think we break for that. And then I think we have a second version of this where we talk about the industry and the current state today. Are you good with that? Yeah, fantastic. Cool. So, yeah. all right, Kinsley's question, where did Mattress Firm come from? You know, when we, uh, first of all, we went and got a case of Miller Lite at the time and said, look, we got to get creative and we're going to sit around here and try to figure a name for this thing. And we wanted to use the word mattress, right? first thing in marketing is that you better be able to know what you do when you read the sign. The second thing is that the industry, when we started back in 1986, was really, you know, it was a dirty window business. Mattress stores were, you know, junk piled everywhere and guys smoking a cigarette in front of the door. And, you know, people were, had a perception of a mattress store that was not really cool. And we just started throwing out names. And we were, again, the goal was to get a name that, you know, had some meaning to it, but sounded better than Joe's Beds. And the, it came out, the mattress firm, and we just looked at each other like, seriously? Not only is it a play on words with mattress firm, but the mattress firm, right? It sounds like the accounting firm, you know, the CPA firm, the firm. And so back then when we started the company, it was called the mattress firm. Today, they changed it, you know, in 2001, I think it was, to mattress firm. Um, it was smaller signage was the main reason. To me, so, it took, took some of that away. The name. Harry, the name, I, ha the name. I have to admit so I, I did write down the formula here, by the way, Miller life. So Miller light, or I almost went to Miller high life. Uh, so Miller light plus people need to know what you do from the name equals good business name. So I've got that captured for future reference, but I, I have to admit, I always thought it was a, a kind of a double play on words because so many people, whenever they think about shopping for a bed, they want to get a firm mattress. So I thought it was that play on the words and also, like you said, like an accounting firm. Um, what, did that play in at all, like people's perception of, hey, I, I got I it a firm mattress? You know what? That's a great story because the word, the mattress firm to us, the, the, the firm part was really the play on words. But it was way more used for the, the sound of the company. 
the quality of the sound of the mattress firm. So, so um, you know, in, 19, in 2010, 2011, I became a franchisee for the company, and the name was now Mattress Firm. Now, we opened stores in Tulsa, Oklahoma, near, near you guys, and we start getting questions for the first time ever was, so do you just sell firm mattresses? Now, when the company was the Mattress Firm, I never heard that question one time, ever. And all of a sudden, now Mattress Firm, we're getting it all the time. Do you just sell firm mattresses? So That's the consumer so even sees it differently. Yeah, they read it differently. And it was just by dropping the article, the. Yes. But you didn't and, have, Harry, did you have, so to Harry's point though, what cracks me up about this story is they cut the out because the signs were more expensive. Yeah, you remember, <laughs> you, saw, you saw the movie, The Social Network, and yeah. the guy's telling Mark Zuckerberg, hey, drop the Facebook, right. just call it Facebook. Right, sure. Same kind of kind of thing. It's crazy, though, that the consumer perception based on dropping that one seemingly insignificant article makes them think that the product you sell is only <laughs> for mattresses. Hey, you know what, though? That's that's it the is. next store concept. We're just going to have mattress plush and mattress cushion firm. And, and then Mat you'll have a mattress luxury firm. <laughs> and you'll have a whole store. Hey, Harry, tell us a little bit because I think it's so cool. You know, everyone refers to you. And to Steve Fendrick and to Paul Stork as the three amigos. I've heard other people in this industry referred to as the three amigos. I'm like, you all don't know what the hell you're talking about. The three amigos are Harry, Paul, and Steve. But anyway, you, you met these guys. T can you give us a little bit on that and then why it seemed to work so well with the three of you running the business? You know, first off, we were friends uh, before we ever started the company. Uh, Paul and I went to high school together in Mitchell, South Dakota. We grew up together, uh, graduated high school, same year. And he actually started dating my little sister. Well, that wasn't, you know, <laughs> that wasn't really cool then, but it <laughs> turned out okay. But anyway, we were friends. Um, and then I met Steve Fendrick at the university of South Dakota as a freshman and we joined the same fraternity. So we had, um, you know, this, this great friendship before we even started the company. And then straight out of college, we went to work for the same company, American Bed Company, selling beds. And we just kept that relationship um, together. And when, you know, the whole idea to start our own company came together, it was pretty amazing timing. Um, but people all, to they told us, you guys are nuts. Having three partners is a nightmare. It it's never going to work. Three people are never going to you know, make a decision. It's, it's going to be terrible. What we found though, and we laid the, you know, the, the lane markers out early that look, the decisions are going to be made when it's two to one. There isn't a thing that you come across that doesn't have a two to one vote. And if it's not two to one, it's three, we're all going. So if you were the odd guy out, you had to support the other two in the decision. Right. It, it, it was always there. The decision-making was easy. You never had a stalemate. And we just had this incredible relationship that, you know, I worked for Paul and Steve, and they felt like they worked for me. And we covered each other's back um, in every situation. Uh, we did. We had a partnership made in heaven. It's a rarity that you find those relationships that continue. I mean, I can think of about two times where we actually, you know, 
got in a heated discussion um, about anything personal. That never happened. Uh, it, it was it was so fantastic. It it was one of the worst parts of selling the company is to to lose that relationship, that closeness, um, because we were always on the same page. You know, we went away and we did planning sessions all the time together every six months. And we did a one year plan, a three year plan and a five year plan. And we got to talk about what we wanted personally out of this. And so everybody knew what was important to the other. And we just it, it built the basis to our culture and our people. They never saw us infighting. You know, they never saw us, you know, not support each other. So, yeah, it was it was it was fantastic. Harry, talk about some of the early days. You said that you you guys, you know, a couple of you worked at a at a mattress store together and then you decided to peel off and do your own thing. T tell us some stories from getting started, maybe some of the tough times. What was that like? Do you, are there any kind of anecdotes that really stand out that kind of are a narrative for what that time was like in your life? Well, the, the one thing was we were all young, you know, 26 and 25. I had just turned 26. They were 25. Personally, we didn't have a lot to lose, right? So there, the gamble then was let's just let's just go. I mean, wh what are we going to lose? Can't lose anything. Well, Paul actually had two children and, you know, my, he's married to my sister now. He's got two kids, a house, note and all this stuff. So he had a little stress in his life. We didn't. Steve and I didn't. And so the, the heck, we each put 5,000 bucks in the pot. That's all it was. And Paul and Steve had to actually borrow the money. Um, you know, and one of the anecdotes is <clears throat> the, the great story is we took our business plan to a bank. Right. To borrow five thousand dollars. And we go through the whole plan. We show them our projections. We give them our history of, you know, just be young guys that know how to sell beds. We know we can do that. The banker looked at us and said, call me banker dumb, but this ain't going to work. And we never got a loan from a bank from that day on. We never went to a bank ever in the history of the company when we owned it. We never borrowed a dime. Um, other than that first 5,000 from either a family member or something, that was it. And we never used a bank, but, uh, you know, it was hard. Our goal was in, to open, to get to three stores where we each had a store to run. And if we could do that, we'd make it. Well, you know, little did we know that, you know, <laughs> Mark, our store averages back then a month, a month. We're like, you know, $13,000 a month the first year and $21,000 the next year. That was what our stores average. So how tough was it? Uh, Paul lost his house in foreclosure. We never took a paycheck for 13 months. And the first paycheck was 240 bucks. I'll never forget it. 240 bucks a piece. Well, how did so you live if you weren't yeah. taking a paycheck? Did you just have money in the bank? Well... <laughs> You know, Steve put all his stuff on American Express card and a lot of our bills on American Express card. He, he had. Uh, guess what? He's never had American Express since that day because we could never pay it off. He lost his American <laughs> Express card. Oh. Um, Paul, we tried to keep up with Paul's house note best we could in the company. That didn't happen. So he lost his house. And me, um, my wife, who I sold a bed to, that's how we met. Another cool story. But my wife um, worked for, uh, she had a job. 
So we could pay our rent. And she would go to a flea market here in Houston, Texas, and sell T-shirts Saturday and Sunday off a card table uh, just to make extra cash. And you know what? We made it. We just made it. Um, that was just the deal. Okay, go back to this one. You sold your wife, your future wife, a mattress. Tell us that story. Well, <clears throat> I was living in New York City working for this company called American Bed Company. And I had a store on 3rd Avenue and 24th Street. Now, I'm from South Dakota, so just imagine my life at this time in New York City. Uh, there was more people living in the building that I was in than the town I grew up in. So uh, it was just, it was total culture shock. But one day this gal comes in looking for a mattress. And, uh, you know, I'm training a new guy and, you know. He was doing all right, but she was kind of cool. And I thought, you know, I need to, I need to meet this gal. So of course I meet her and, you know, we just kind of hit it off. Um, and she bought a mattress. Of course she got a comfort guarantee. You know, you gotta do that. Right. But anyway, she worked for a, a men's clothing company and had an office in the empire state building. I mean, she was like the coolest person I'd met in my life. And anyway, we just, uh, you know, had a great time in New York City. But when I left to say, I'm going to start a mattress store in Houston, Texas, you know, a lot of eyebrows went up. And I'll never forget her, her, her father said, I sure hope you don't give that guy any money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do not give that guy any money. And actually, her, her dad became my biggest fan. And uh, he, he was amazing. But he was you know, there through the whole process. But we moved to Houston and I asked her to marry me inside our first little store in, back, in the back room. And to get her her engagement ring, I didn't have any money. I traded a day bed with mattresses, a trundle and, uh, you know, some bedding to a jeweler who just happened to walk in one day and say, hey, do you got a special person in your life that you're thinking about anything special? And I'm like, uh. Yes, I'm thinking about getting married, but I cannot buy a ring. He says, I think I can help you with that. So he brought some rings for me to look at. I gave him the day bed. He left with the product, and I got an engagement ring for my wife. I love it. So. Hey, so, on, on, so number one, did you um, give your future wife a discount on the bed, or did you close her at full margin? I need to know that. And <laughs> secondly, what's that? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Go ahead. The other question. <laughs> and secondly, because, you know, my wife, Bridget, was the buyer at Montgomery Ward in the mattress category. So uh, I always joke around and say she got much better prices than I did volume out of the account. But anyway, so um, and then the second part is, didn't you got didn't Fendrick at one point have a house? And as you were recruiting and growing stores, his house became like this, uh, you know, like this youth hostel for new employees and, and people came and, and kept moving in with Steve and living there until you guys could get them enough money where they could move into their own store? Yes. Well, the first question, of course, you got a great deal. I don't think I've ever sold a bed without giving a discount. So, you know, I'm you know, not a great closer. So yeah, she did get a great deal, but we always joke about it that she got a definitely a test rest. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, neither here oh, nor yeah. there, but but uh, yeah, the house part, you know, that was a big part of our culture. 
we we would bring these you know young people heck we were only a few years older than them we would hire them out of usd and we would move them down to texas and they would stay with us i mean because the culture shock coming from south dakota's cornfields to the busy streets of houston texas was was it was scary and so they would live with us and it started with with my wife and i uh in our first little house and you know in fact my media uh, sales. She's a sales manager at a TV station today in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I hired her from USD and she lived with us for three months back in, you know, 87, 88. And so I just saw her in South Dakota and she's doing great, but it's crazy. They lived with us and they just all remember those stories and they, they watched our kids grow up and, and they, it just became, part of the culture to get these people started into, you know, selling mattresses and, you know, Sundays, we were closed on Sundays. And that was, you know, it was back when they had blue laws in Texas and a lot of places closed. So we actually were closed on Sundays and Sundays were just a big, ended up being a big pool party at Steve's house. All the employees came and we just, you know, we just had fun. We just, we just had a blast. Were there tequila shots involved then? We couldn't afford tequila, so um, it was usually <laughs> it was just beer. That's all we could afford. Uh, Harry, take us into you know. I'm almost thinking about this as an episode of How I Built This, which is another podcast, and they they kind of go through where companies came from and what were some of those major inflection points. Take us into that. What what was the the first moment when you kind of realize we're onto something bigger than those three stores that you guys set out to own and run. You know, we have, we had a uh, hurricane start to pop up in the Gulf, you know, a tropical storm. And we were like, Hmm, this thing, you know, the news was telling us it's coming to Houston, you know, and, and all this stuff. And from prior knowledge, we knew if a hurricane came through, one of the first things people need are a mattress. Now, we were not looking to, you know, we weren't cheering the storm on, but we did know that if it came, this could be, you know, we, we've got to be ready. And there was, <clears throat> there was a space, an empty space in the shopping center of our first location that was about 6,000 feet. And so we talked to the landlord and said, hey, we're, we're going to bring three trailers of beds in just in case this storm hits, but we don't have any, anywhere to put them. We, we warehoused out of our, out of the back of our stores. So we didn't have a warehouse place. So <clears throat> we talked the landlord into letting us use this 6,000 square foot space. So the trucks, they all got delivered. We, we put the beds in there. And while the three of us were standing in there, the store was perfect. It was 60 feet wide and a hundred feet deep. And there was a, a dividing wall right down the center. So it, it had a 3,000 square foot showroom. And there was 3,000 feet behind this, this wall. And we're standing in this thing going, this would be an amazing store. But how the heck are we going to afford it? You know, we were in, you know, 1,400 square feet where we were in the center. And this thing was 6,000 feet. So long story. But we talked to the landlord and finally got it down. I mean, we figured out how many beds a day we had to sell more to be able to pay that rent. And we did the deal with the landlord and we got the, the day we put the sign up 
business just took off. Now, again, we were doing maybe 30,000 in this little store, you know, three doors over, but we moved into this 6,000 square foot building and put a big, the mattress firm on the front of it. And we did over $80,000 the first month. And it, it just blew our minds. So what we found out was the consumer was already in the parking lot. They were there. They just didn't want to walk in that little dinky store. They were afraid of us. And it changed the whole company. The, it, it just, first of all, it gave us cash to be able to open more stores. And secondly, we stopped looking at these little dumps with cheap rent. And that was the name of the game back then. I think you kind of touched on that early on. It was a dirty window business and people didn't really want that experience. They were looking for something different, something more elevated. And, and is that kind of what you gave them? And that's what they saw and that's why they were attracted to it? You know what? Exactly. And that was what we were trying to do. I mean, we were the first mattress store with carpet on the floor in Houston. There, it was all just concrete and stacks of beds. And, and so our first store had carpet and had a nice color palette back then, gray and, you know, maroon, which I guess that was the color. Uh, but it was always clean. That was our, you know, we stole that from McDonald's. Cleanliness is essential, not important. And if you go into one of our bathrooms even today, they are spotless because it tells you the whole story of the rest of the store. And that's what we did. We created this environment that was clean. But what it was was the signage on the outside of the building <clears throat> created trust with the consumer because she was already there. She just didn't trust us looking at that little sign and little store and three creepy guys standing in there you know, waiting for her to walk in the door. So it totally changed when we opened the store space up and widened the space. And it said we were a real retailer to the consumer. And that put you in a position, it sounds like, to be ready for the hurricane business. Did, did that happen and, and people really did need mattresses after that and you were prepared to deliver them? Well, actually, no. That was a problem, too. The hurricane turned. It never came to Houston. We had all this inventory. And it choked us to death. We barely, you know, we had to beg these guys to, you know, uh, give us more time to pay for this product because it took a long time to sell it. So we took the gamble, but the gamble paid off in the in the new store. And it, you know, we we got it open pretty darn quick. And then again, we did over 80,000 the first month, which. You know, today, that's a million-dollar store, so that's not too bad. But this was in, you know, 87. Was there a point where you kind of looked at Harry and, uh, sorry, Paul and Steve, and said, you know, I'm not sure this is going to work? Like, was there a moment in time when there was some despair and you were just kind of thinking, you know what, guys, good effort here, but I'm not sure we can pull it off? Not once. Never. No kidding. Never. It was so cool because we, we even said it. Look, we never said it was not going to work. We never said it. We never thought it. We never uh, – look, we were positive guys. We were trained. Look, you live in the positive. You stay away from the negative, and you just stay with the positive. So we didn't even speak negative words. We, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a bad day. It was just a little soft. 
You know, we stayed away from we wrote with green pens because green is a better color than red. Red's negative. We don't want red pens in our stores. We want green pens. We just lived in that positive and we we never said it. We we never thought it. Now, were there times when it was tough? It took 10 years to make a salary that was worth a hoot, to be honest. 10 years. I mean, people, you know, think I woke up like this, right? No, this was this was a struggle from day one, but it wasn't a struggle. It was a blast because of these two other guys and the amazing people that worked for our company. Uh, but we never thought it ever. It's got to make a huge difference just to have, you know, two other positive people surrounding you. That energy that you get from three people in a group can just be infectious in such an effervescent, positive way. And it sounds like you guys were just having having fun all the way to the bank. And and that's I think when people see that, they see a group that's having a good time, it's like a magnet. They just want to be a part of it. No doubt. No doubt. It is exactly what it was. People just wanted to be a part of it. And we were so blessed to have uh, the help from people. We also lived by a, you know, an attitude that, look, we're, we're just three normal guys from South Dakota. There are so many brilliant people out there that can help us. And if we're cool and, and, and we're grateful, <laughs> they're going to help us. And it was amazing, the stories over time, the people, what they did to help, you know, Mattress Firm through all the tough days, through the great days. They just wanted to be part of it. And I don't think we ever disappointed them in all those years either. What was, what was kind of that next inflection point? Just meaning... You guys are there. You've got this 6,000-square-foot store. You were kind of getting geared up for the hurricane. But then your business kind of pops. You're, you, know, you make 80 grand in sales the first month. Um, you're kind of going into some unknown territory. What happened next that's really memorable? Maybe it's a story or maybe it's kind of a, a point in business that you recognize as, hey, not, not only do we have traction, this is momentum. We're, we're going to new heights. Well, we got Houston to nine stores, right? And we thought, wow, we got nine stores in Houston. And man, it's time to expand. It's time to go to another city. We had some great people that we knew would, would follow us there. And so we decided in 91 to go to Dallas and open stores. So we were going to expand to our first you know, market outside of Houston. Um, bad timing. Uh, Mattress Giant and another retailer came to Houston, Texas at the exact same time. Mattress Giant opened several stores in Dallas, and we got up there, and they totally kicked our butts. And this expansion became a nightmare for us because we were using all the cash we were making in Houston just to feed Dallas. And Mattress Giant came to Houston, and they were just wreaking havoc on our revenue and just locations were better, bigger. They had an incredible model. And that was a reorganization time. We got together, the three of us, and said, look, we're either going out of business here or we're going to get our people to fight. And we did a sales meeting that they still talk about, the guys that were there. 
but we showed up late to the meeting about five minutes, which we were never late. You didn't, that was part of our culture. You, you show up late, the door's locked, just go home. And, but we showed up late to the meeting, but we got, we jumped out of the back of a, of a delivery truck, all in camo and guns and ammo. And we went into that sales meeting and blew our people away and said, it's a war. And if we don't start to fight and use the weapons we have, we're gone. And it wasn't a negative message to our people. They just rallied. They just thought, man, we're going to do this. And it was another part of our company that just the culture just again solidified in, in people became even more committed to the, to the cause, to the firm. Oh, hang on just a second. It looks like Sarah's here from Pure Care. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Dos Marcos. So today I want to touch a little bit on e-commerce, right? Dun, 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 dun. Uh, e-com, let's face it, continues to push the boundaries of what the world of retail looks like today. And I find this topic to be a really common thread, um, and in some cases, a common threat amongst the industry retailers that I talk to today. Like it or not, Ecom is influencing the way that customers shop for almost everything, and that of course impacts us as well. So the question that I get a lot is how PureCare is helping our retailers compete with the Amazons and the Parachutes and the Targets and the Bed Bath & Beyonds and everybody else who's selling online and in big box today. And it's a big question, but I do have some answers for you. One of the ways that PureCare is helping retailers is by price mapping every single online retailer to protect our brick and mortar partners so that while customers are in your store, they aren't finding our products for cheaper online. That's important. Another way that PureCare helps retailers stand out is by making products that offer more. PureCare's products offer more than comfort. That's a huge focus for us, of course, building comfort into everything we do, but we make sleep products. That's a given. PureCare's products also offer more than quality, and quality is a must. Not meeting a customer's expectations for quality is the quickest way to send them to your competition. So with comfort and quality aside, PureCare's products offer additional benefits that expand the conversation with your customer. So by increasing those product touch points in every PureCare product, we're increasing the likelihood that it will meet your customer's sleep needs. Whether they respond to products that are designed to help them create a cleaner sleep environment or products infused with responsive technical textiles that help them find the right solutions for their sleep needs, Whatever it is, we're helping customers find value in the unique products that they find in specialty sleep stores. On top of that, we're training RSAs to have intelligent conversations about the sleep wellness solutions that PureCare's products offer. And that is something, quite simply, that Ecom and Big Box are not set up to do. Specialty sleep has the advantage when they can offer products that provide more than comfort and quality. So beyond all of that, we're helping our retailers compete by working with them to develop custom products based on what their customers are looking for. Our product development teams and in-house marketing capabilities are at our retailers' disposal. Those are just a few ways off the top of my head that PureCare is putting our specialty sleep retailers in the soft goods business. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Talk to you soon.
you said you you pulled up in a delivery truck. You had guns and ammo just to illustrate that we're in a we're in a battle. We're in this war. How many people are in the organization at that time or in that room? There might have been 25, maybe 25 people, maybe less. It was a small, small group. Um, so it, it, yeah, there, and, yeah. And what, what happened after that? So you can come in and you can give a great speech and you can get people inspired, but on the backside of that, how, like, what were some of the strategies or some of the shifts you had to make in business to actually compete with mattress giant and not only compete, but win? Well, they had a really, uh, cool pricing strategy that, uh, we, we just didn't understand and that, you know, they were masters of discounting products, you know, to be honest, and they were really good at it. I mean, we had a great price on everything and wow, that, well, yeah, but they're going to give me $500 off across the street. Well, I give you $500 off this bed. It's free, right? So th they had a pricing strategy that was really difficult to, to sell against. So, you know, we changed some of that, and but we got to know them very, very well. We shopped the heck out of them. And we got to know them really well. We knew exactly what they were going to say if a consumer said, you know, I, I don't like, we knew what they were going to do, say, and we could predict it with people. And it, it took a while. But we were able to combat uh, their presentation uh, by just the quality of our people, the fun that we had. And yeah, we would discount. We had to, we had to get dirty. We had to get dirty. Um, but, you know, the, it, it was not a fun time. It, it took some time to really um, to beat them. Um, but eventually uh, it happened. Um, and it wasn't product either. We thought, you know, we need different product, you know, we need beds like that. It was, it was never product. It was always, it was always us. You know, Harry, it, it's funny hearing you tell that story because I've known you for a long time. I've come to know you better actually in the last year with some stuff we've done, but, um, I was calling on your stores since you were a small chain in Houston and then I was in Dallas, Texas at the time, and you guys were expanding into Dallas, and I was part of that sales force. And our sales manager at the time, Roxanne Stevens, mm -hmm. had come from Florida, so she knew the Mattress Giant guys really well. And so when I was at Sealy, there was this big battle or internal discussion about who we kind of lean into, right? It was either going to be giant or firm because there were some distribution issues in yep. the Dallas market, and Rox Roxanne was always this advocate for Giant, and because of my time in Houston and knowing you guys, I was the advocate for the mattress firm, and it came down from higher up that you know we were gonna you know favor mattress firm with some distribution or the line, or I can't remember how it went, but it was really kind of funny because um, Roxanne was really pushing the Giant side, and I kept saying to her, I remember, just wait till you get to know these guys and you understand their philosophy on business, I promise you, like this is the future for our market. Like they're gonna, they're going to help us grow the Sealy brand tremendously. And that's exactly what happened. And as you know, Roxanne Stevens became a big fan of Mattress Firm ultimately too, but there was kind of inside baseball on in that whole experience. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I know. To look back at that, uh, we felt it. Uh, we remember it. And again, that 
because of the relationships that we had built with the all the way into the factories. We would go to the factory. There wasn't a Sealy factory that we've walked into and haven't taken a box of chocolates for the gals that greet you. It's never happened. And they loved us. I mean, to the point of saying, you know, Paul, Paul everybody loved Paul Stark, right? He could make a phone call over and say, yeah, I'm going to send you the check, for, you know, but can you put it in a drawer for a few days? And they would do it to help us. It, it was just a, yeah, it was, it was fun. And, and we did get the support. But, and Roxanne did become a big fan. She's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because it, you, you <clears throat> segued into this perfectly because that's where I wanted to go next, Terry, which is. There is, to this day, very few people that really understood, and I've said this to you before, that really understood the importance of people. So not just your people, like you guys obviously get that, and most retailers understand that, but I'm talking about on the vendor side, exactly what you just talked about with Stork. I remember so many times being at so many mattress from Christmas parties where you guys are standing in front of the room and the very first thing you did was to celebrate the vendor community and thank them and make sure they were very clear on the fact that Mattress Room would not be where it was if it were not for the support of the people supplying your company with products. And it just always blew me away because it wasn't something you just said. Like you guys were always so sincere and so authentic with that. And you, you, so the, I, I think it was very real, but you also knew that being that way and being gracious and generous with your comments, um, also endeared people to you because that's what eventually happened. I mean, you had the entire Sealy company, every time you guys moved into a new market because of who you are, because of how you valued them, because of the way you demonstrated that with chocolates at the factory. I, I really believe as an outsider looking in, it was a huge factor in your growth. Do you see it like that or do you see it differently? No, I, and I appreciate you saying it and, and noticing it then. And, and what was cool, it, it, it truly was genuine. It sounds a little whatever, but it was genuine. It was just how we were raised, the three of us. It just worked that way. And we did it with our people. We did it with our vendors. We wrote a business philosophy back before we opened our first store. And it said in the business philosophy that we will treat our vendors and our people as family and friends. That's how we're going to treat you. And that's what we did. And it, yeah, but strategy-wise, no. It, it was who we were. But when we needed to lean into it, we could lean into it. You know, they, they even called us the guys in the white hats in the biz because, you know, there was a lot of scummy retailers in our industry. And there isn't anyone we didn't pay, uh, no matter how much. And we would pay our vendors before we paid ourselves. And that was in our philosophy. There's, that's just what we did. Um, you know, it was hard, but those relationships are what build a business. You can't read a business book on the planet that doesn't tell you to do that. What we had was just three genuine guys. That we just normal guys and we, you know, just kind of fun to be around. Harry, take us into the take us back into to the evolution of the business. So, 
you're in Houston. You know, we kind of recapped on this a little bit. You had the 6,000 square foot store, 80 grand out of the gates. What was that, that next inflection point? You said you went to Dallas and that didn't work out. So did you recoil at that point and, and focus and redouble your effort on the Houston market? You, you, like you said, you came in with uh, the camo, you know, the fatigues and the guns and, and the whole thing to illustrate the point. Your people started fighting. You kind of went into Mattress Giant, you know, shopped them, understood the business, dissected that, absorbed it, and, and figured out a game plan. What happened next? What was that, that next kind of memorable inflection point on, on growing the business? Well, for, first with the giant and, and that, it took us about, it took us over a year to, to gather ourselves. I mean, we, we couldn't do anything for a year. Uh, we had to cut advertising because we couldn't keep up. We weren't doing the revenues. Uh, but really what it did is gave, and especially Paul, time to, to build this sales process, to simplify the whole process and to identify the most valuable pieces to the consumer. And we were able to really get good at the whole selling process. Um, you know, the next, the next step then was once we got, you know, financially stable again, we had a, a former employee come to us, Tommy Henderson, and he, he's actually a very successful Papa Murphy's franchise guy today. Uh, but Tommy came to us. He was one of our first employees. And he came and said, look, I want to I want to get back in the mattress business. And can we do a franchise? And we're like, uh, what? We never thought about that. We had never thought about franchising our concept. We're a little old mattress firm. Who's going to want to. Right. We never even thought about it. So Tommy gave us this thought in our head and we went and researched it the best we could and talked to our attorneys about it and said, yeah, why don't you. You know, you can license the idea and then they can pay you money to do it. Hmm. So that's kind of cool. I mean, this would be kind of neat. And so we went and did a, plan, a whole planning session like we did. We would go to a small cabin in, out in at the falls. You know, it's in the middle of nowhere here in Texas. And we would just lock ourselves in this cabin for three, four days and, and, and plan the future. And Steve Fendrick, I'll never forget it. It was brilliant. But he said... Do we want to develop employees or do we want to create entrepreneurs? And I mean, I still get chills to this day thinking about that. That realization was, look, we can create great employees, but if we create entrepreneurs, we'll change this company. And we went back, we hired an attorney, we figured out how to franchise, we studied it. We got Denver was our first licensing market. It was a license at the time. We weren't ready to franchise and spend, you know, 50 grand on legal documents at, back then. We, so we licensed it. It was easier to do. And we went and developed a franchise program for our company. And it was all going to be fueled by people inside the company. We were going to take these incredibly dedicated people who had busted their butt for us got us to where we were and we were going to help them become entrepreneurs. And we started to, you know, open, open markets around the country and it just blew up. It absolutely blew our company up. Not only did our, you know, our, our employees work their tails off um, to learn the business, not just sell a bed. These people wanted to learn the business 
and we were we were grooming people to become franchisees and entrepreneurs in the own, their own company. I mean, it's you know, it's where Philip Busker came from. Philip was my right hand man, and Philip was a stud in the stores. He was so good. And one day he woke up and said, "I want to do this. I want to do this." This this started out as a young guy who didn't even know if he wanted a job to a young guy that became one of the most successful franchisees we ever had. And it, because we gave him this opportunity um, and it was, it was game on, it was hold on. The growth was so in, intense. So was Tommy the very first licensee and he, he went to Denver with this concept? Yes. Okay, yep. so Tom, Tommy takes the license, like, like you said, not a franchise model where you build everything out, but he takes this license to Denver, plops down there in the Mile High City, and what happens next for him? Well, um, you know, it was tough. It was tough on him, to be honest, because they saw, you know, how we rolled in, you know, Houston. But again, not a lot of people know what we sacrificed to keep the company alive. And, you know, they went up there. It just didn't pan out as well um, for him and his partner. And they they grew and did a great job. It was just it was just not going in the right direction. They had a You know, we had a partnership made in heaven. That's a rarity. And Tommy eventually made the decision to uh, go back to South Dakota. And so that's where he eventually and we still I just saw him last week. We're still very good friends. We still talk a lot. We fish together, uh, but he's got an amazing franchise. I just went up to look at his Papa Murphy stores. So he stayed in the, he's still an entrepreneur. I mean, he, this guy became an entrepreneur through our program and he has always been an entrepreneur. So, Harry, I remember it was funny. I can remember in the Christmas parties or gatherings, you guys standing in front of the room with all of your retail salespeople dangling a set of keys and saying to them that the next market could be your market and these keys could be the keys that open the door to your first store. And I always thought that was really powerful. It was. And again, if you want to do this, then you've got to get really good at what you're doing today in your store with every person that swings that door. Every guest that steps inside that store better be treated like gold. And if we do that, We've all got a future. And that was the message every time. And it worked. I mean, we had, what, three markets in 94. And by in when three years, we were in 15, 20. So that's what I was, I was thinking next. So you, you launched in three markets, 94. A few years later, you, you hop up to 15. So even though the very first one, Denver, right out of the gates, maybe didn't gain the traction and momentum you wanted. There were other markets that did start to pop. And it sounds like did all of those people that went out and kind of greenfielded these new stores or, or took the license to these new locations, were those all people from Houston that had been in your ecosystem there? They were your people? Yes. Um, and Austin, San Antonio were next and they just took off. They blew up right away. That was an amazing market. You know, Steve Sagner um, was our was a franchisee with Darren Lewin, who was uh, a South Dakota kid. We hired out at USD and he and Darren Lewin went were brave enough to go after Atlanta. And they started in 96 in Atlanta. 
and Steve Sagner was our uh, Stearns and Foster rep. He was working at, at Sealy at the time. So he got to know our program through Darren and they became close friends and said, let's get some of those keys. You know, and so they did Atlanta. And, you know, the nice thing, too, is we became the bank for these guys. So they didn't have to necessarily go to a bank and get a bunch of money. We got support from our vendors to help uh, somewhat. But we got we were basically the bank for these guys to get started. And so it was not as risky for them. Um, and it, yeah, these, these are young guys that had no money. And you, you so know, it's like, how are you going to start a company? And we helped him. It, it's funny, Harry, on the Atlanta thing, because um, I remember um, when Steve and Darren went out there and my brother went with Steve and my father, my, my father and brother both ended up owning a piece of that market with Steve and Darren. And I remember their early start was similar to what you guys did in Houston they were recruiting college fraternity and sorority connections and all living in one house until they could generate enough revenue to go out and live on their own or open more stores. So it's kind of funny how they followed kind of the same groove as how you guys started Houston. You know, all of them did because they just they really knew what we did to help them. They knew that how we sacrificed. And, you know, this wasn't about getting rich. This was about, you know, building a business. And, and so that's what, you know, what we did and everybody sacrificed and, and continue to sacrifice today. No doubt. So, okay, let's get up to um, the final point of when, so when you finally sold out, um, how many stores did you guys have and how tough a decision was that for you three to ultimately make that decision? Well, it was um, in 99 and we had, you know, we were in 32 markets. I would have to look, you know, just how many stores, but yeah, we were in 32 cities. There's a three year period that hardly, we can't remember. We don't even remember how we got there. It doesn't even make sense. Um, you know, we went from 52 stores to 200 and some overnight. And, so when we, we had around 200 stores when we sold it, we were just, just at the 200 store mark. They were opening every day, every week in different markets. We had stores, you know, in 30 some cities getting ready to open any given time. And we had one franchisee from outside the business. It was a risky deal, but you know, Paul had a relationship and we thought, well, we'll, we're going to try this because if it's a really good franchise model, then somebody from outside the business should be able to run it, right? Well, they came in and opened Nashville and they loved the business so much. Uh, and they were, you know, investment company and they had capital from, from clients and they're like, we really want a piece of this thing. This is amazing company. And so we never really thought much about selling the company ever. We, we didn't really know that somebody would want to buy it. It was somewhat of a nightmare to run 30 some cities by then and 200 stores and people and franchisees and problems and, you know, lawsuits, you know, crazy things and happening in the store. So it's crazy. And somebody wanted to buy it from us. And so we'd never really thought about it. Um, and they made an offer. And I, I, I remember I was flying back from 
from one of our markets, Steve Fender called me and said, we just got an offer to buy the company. I'm like, what? And he told me the number. And I said, well, okay, I'm not going to think about it ever again until it closes. Because if I think about this, I'm going to go crazy because it was more money than, you know, my family had ever seen. And I was like, really? If we sold this, I, I wouldn't have to work ever again. If I'm smart, I just, I mean, it was really weird for three South Dakota guys to think that we actually had that much value in a company um, that was valued to someone else. We had no idea. Now, to actually get there, to sell it was mostly, it was really hard on Paul. Paul, you know, Paul was, you know, the engineer behind the engine. You know, we always said, you know, Paul's going to get us to the moon, but Steve and I got to figure out how to get back. (laughs) (laughs) The dude is such a visionary and was always out front and was always thinking big. I mean, he was the coast to coast, border to border. He was the first guy to think that. We're going to be the McDonald's of the industry. And so when we had an opportunity to sell the company before we accomplished that goal, it was hard. It was hard on them. Um, It was hard on, you know, parts of the, it was hard on our people. The biggest concern we had was we've got to tell hundreds and hundreds of people that we don't own the company anymore. And it is not going to be good. That, That was the, the worst part of the entire deal if there is a bad part about selling your company so you sold the company and what happens after that i mean did you well hold on let me pause on that for a moment there's the money part of it which i think anybody could could understand hey how many chances in life do you have to grow a business and then make a successful exit and like you said you know three three guys from south dakota with more money than they can ever imagine. I mean, that that part I think would make sense to people. But on the other side of that, when you have a guy like Paul that's thinking about how to get to the moon, and you guys are thinking about how to get back, did did, did he look at it and say, without more funding, without more resources, we're not going to be coast to coast, so we should sell? Was there that piece of the thought process? You know, I don't I don't know if we thought about it that heavily i mean again we drove this thing one day at a time we were so focused on you know where we were and opening that next door i mean we were going at light speed and you know at that time and and so to think you know what we are going to need funding um we yes it was somewhat of a part of it because we were getting choked we had tons of loans out there to the franchisees we had tons of money out there and yeah it was getting it was getting tough, um, but to go coast to coast, border to border, yes, the co- there was no doubt the company needed more than three amigos. There was no doubt it needed that. All right, so I've got one more question for you, Kinsley. Get <clears throat> excuse me, Kinsley. Get your last question ready, okay? So my last question for you, Harry, and then if you're okay with it, we're gonna create another podcast and, and keep you for a few more minutes. We're going part two on this. We're going part two on this because I would love to get your perspective on the industry today. So we can, we can do that in a minute, but for now, my no, last, we'll do that in part two. We'll do that in part two. Absolutely. Right. Uh, so my last question for you is, did you like when you, when you sit back and you look at where mattress firm is today, do you get this like sense of pride knowing that, that all, 
kind of started, you know, from three guys in South Dakota. And then you think about how many stores there are now and how much positive impact it's had on a lot of people's lives in terms of being able to make a living. I mean, do you ever, you know, having a cocktail at the end of the day kind of reflect on that? You know, you can't help but reflect on it. I mean, because it's become a almost a household name. There isn't anywhere I go that people don't haven't heard of Mattress Firm. And to be able to say, you know, I was, you know, one of the original guys that started it. It's, you know, there's so much pride and, and the lives that it's impacted. That that is the the most special part of the whole deal for me, because it has touched lives in such a positive way. Um, I couldn't even list them all. And that was, that's, that's the most proud moment, you know, that, that we have for, for the company today. I'm going to give you, so this is not my final question, Harry. So I'm going to save that for a moment. <laughs> now I but, said you get a final question. You, you hey, can't rewrite the rules, man. You, you know what? This is what happened. So who, who started the podcast or who went to you with the podcast idea? That would be, and you said it was Harry Roberts called me and no, said, no, you should started... do a podcast, Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't you. All right. Here, it was you. It was you. It was you. Here's, here's what I always like to say. Uh, one of my favorite questions is what did we not ask you that you would want to share about your journey? Maybe it's a story, maybe it's an experience. Um, but what, what stands out that maybe we didn't ask you? Oh man, that's a tough one, Mark. Uh, you know what? All right, you you brought up, you know, how I built this. I listen to those podcasts today because they're so inspirational. You 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 hear from these great entrepreneurs that started with nothing and grew, and you know they they ask the question all the time, right? Do you you know how much do you think it was luck, and how much do you think it was skill to get where you were today? Well. First of all, I had to take the word luck out of my vocabulary because my mother hated it because I would say, oh, mom, I'm so lucky. You know, I get this and I'm, I've been so lucky with it. She said, you got to quit saying you're lucky. You are blessed. All right. So use the word blessed, not luck. So, you know, I have to use the word we were so blessed. <laughs> but does luck play into everything somewhat, somehow, some way? But my father-in-law said, you create your luck. You create it. And so we were skills. Skill was probably not our greatest asset. We knew there, there was a lot smarter people out there than us. We knew there was people that had been doing this business and had resources and everything that, that we couldn't compete with. But we could compete on passion and just you know, sincerity and just raw determination to create this great mattress retail company or this great company that people love to work for and work with. And that passion there out, it, it, it stood above any, you know, uh, how smart we were, how, how great we were at, you know, merchants and how, you know, great we were p picking locations and how great we were at advertising. Those were all part of it. But we were fantastic at the, the people side of this business. And so, yeah, it was, it was mostly that desire and dedication to them. When I and hear that, look, when I hear your story about these three guys coming together and 
you guys were young fellas and, and you just had this, this raw passion and you put it into this business and you're having fun every step of the way. When you see the mattress industry today, especially on the retail side, and you see some of these, these younger folks maybe hopping into the business, what advice do you give them? Stay close to the front door. Stay close to the front door. It is, it is where we lived. It's where we lived. And, you know, you ask, what did we do at Mattress, the Mattress Giant War? Guess what we did? We got our butts in the stores every day. And we were always in stores. And we were greeting people and loving on our sales associates and the customers that walked in the door. So I tell them, stay close to the front door. Because that's where we make a difference. So my final question, and then that was like four questions for the record. This is a conversation. Okay. (laughs) So my question, Harry, is even if I don't get into a car accident, will you buy me a tequila shot someday? I would love to. It'd be my pleasure. I would love (laughs) to meet you because your idea on this podcast, because I know you had to uh, drag Quinn along. <laughs> um, was brilliant. So I'll hey, buy you a tequila shot for that. I don't. I don't need your help, Roberts. <laughs> um, okay. And so, Harry, as we conclude here, um, just a, a final thought: uh, Have you ever listened to or been part of a better mattress industry podcast anywhere in the world? Never. This one has been fantastic. There you go. I think that says it all. I, I, hey, I'm 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 glad we recorded that part because we just may play that on loop uh, to ourselves. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make his comment my ringtone. It's Harry saying absolutely. Harry, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show and it, you know this is the first time we've ever talked, but I can sense your passion for this industry and what you guys did is just truly remarkable. I mean, it's an incredible story and I'm glad we got to tell it here and I'm so glad that we had a chance to, to chat with you today. Yeah, no doubt. And Harry, from being a young guy in the industry and coming up and working on the map from account and getting to know you three, uh, it, I don't know. It's uh, it's an amazing story. One that I'm glad we get to tell. Uh, thanks for your friendship. Uh, thanks for your um, your good acting in the industry and, uh, can't wait. I think, uh, the next five years might even be more interesting than the last 20. Well, you guys, thank you again for listening asking the questions, being interested in it all. And hopefully we have a good show and, and, uh, you guys have some people that enjoy hearing the story. I love telling it. As you can tell, I feel very blessed and, and it is, inspirational to other people. I love seeing other people get excited because if they see a little guy like me, you know, five, six bald little guy that was successful, it inspires them. And that's, that's what I love to do. So thanks for having me on. You can bounce on it. What is a hybrid? It's like peanut butter jelly, peanut butter chocolate. Hybrid so tight, there's no way that you could topple it. Hybrid on my wrist, that's a calculator watch. We add ourselves together and we take it up a notch. Got the airflow, yo, keep you cool as it get. Visco foam alone to make you drip sweat. Get a hybrid mattress, yes, you'll get better rest. 
cool and comfortable. I'm pirate like a sweater vest. You know the game, we're ahead of it, son. Cause the two of us together are way better than one. Cause I'm cool as ice. And I'm hot like a heater. Bounce by the ounce, now, now we, we got, got it by the leader. Well, you take a spring and you wrap it up right. You can sleep so smooth, or bounce all night. Yeah. Put two together, get a whole lot more. Get the feel of the comfort core. You can bounce on it. Lay back, you don't have to practice. The best thing to happen to your mattress. Get together to do it like I did. Everybody get hybrid. If you want somebody to get in your vicinity, you probably want to feel a little bit of a hybridity. From alone, out of five, maybe one star. Springs and foam, we're taking care of that lumbar. Mad back support, the best way to shack up or just get rest that won't mess your back up. Like a hot chick mixed with a particle physicist or a mullet. Party in the back of the business. Best of both worlds like Mars and Venus. The ultimate hybrid. Keeping it loose while keeping it tight We can make you sleep or play all night Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of a comfort core You can bounce on it No stopping when the beat gets played back Springs keep it popping, foam keeps it laid back Party over here, get invited Everybody get hybrid Right. Listen, doesn't matter if your kitchen is charming When your bedroom's the most important part of the apartment What kind of bed do you keep back there? Does your girl want to chill on a beanbag chair? Hell no! You need springs and foam Cause if that bowling ball don't bounce You'll be sleeping alone And if the bed don't react Then you can't get low We got that type of bounce That won't spill your Merlot So stick with us and you'll get rewarded Cause I'm so gentle And I'm so supportive is where the magic is. And we just killed a song about mattresses.